Section 12 of Woman in Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Ralph Kerwin. Woman in Science by John Augustine Zahm. Chapter 4, Part 2 of 2 Women in Astronomy. In our day, when all kinds of astronomical apparatus are made by machinery, it is difficult for us to realize what stupendous labor was required to produce those giant telescopes with which the Herschels made their great discoveries, and by which they, at the same time, revolutionized the science of the stars. For they had not only to design and make the specula, but also the mountings of the mirrors as well. And in order to obtain the money required for material and workmen, they were obliged to make telescopes for sale. This meant an immense loss of precious time that would otherwise have been devoted to the study of the heavens. After long years of struggle, during which the devoted brother and sister overcame countless difficulties of every kind, their condition was somewhat ameliorated by financial aid from the government and by William's appointment to the position of Astronomer Royal with a salary of two hundred pounds a year. When Sir William Watson heard that this limited sum had been granted by George III to the discoverer of Georgium Cetus, the planet now known as Uranus, he exclaimed, Never bought monarch honor so cheap. Shortly afterwards, Caroline was appointed as assistant to her brother, at a salary of fifty pounds a year. This we should now consider but a nominal sum, but she managed to live on it. When she received the first quarterly payment of twelve pounds, she wrote in her memoirs, It was the first money I ever in all my lifetime thought myself to be at liberty to spend to my liking. Her appointment as assistant to her brother is notable from the fact that she was the first woman in England, if not in the world, to hold such a position in the government service. Miss Herschel held this official appointment until Sir William's death in 1822. When not acting as her brother's assistant or secretary, she devoted her time to what she quaintly called minding the heavens. It was during this period that she made her most important discoveries. As assistant, however, to so indefatigable an observer as Sir William Herschel, she had but little time for sweeping the heavens, for, when at home, Sir William was invariably accustomed to carrying on his observations until daybreak, circumstances permitting, without regard to seasons. It was the business of his assistant to note the clocks and to write down the observations from his dictations as they were made. Subsequently, she assisted in the laborious numerical calculations and reductions, so that it was only during his absence from home, or when any other interruption of his regular course of observation occurred, that she was able to devote herself to the Newtonian sweeper, which she used to such good purpose. Besides the eight comets by her discovered, she detected several remarkable nebulae and clusters of stars, previously unnoticed, especially the superb nebulae known as Number 1, Class 5, in Sir William Herschel's catalogue. Long practice taught her to make light of her work, 
An observer at your twenty foot when sweeping, she wrote many years after, wants nothing but a being who can and will execute his commands with the quickness of lightning. For you will have seen that in many sweeps six or twice six objects have been secured and described in one minute of time. It was her quick, intelligent action, combined with the patience, enthusiasm, and powers of endurance that were most extraordinary, that made Caroline Herschel so valuable as an assistant to her brother and enabled him to achieve the unique position which is his among the world's greatest astronomers. Had she been able to devote all her time to minding the heavens, it is certain that she would have made many more discoveries than are now credited to her. But her service to astronomy would have been less than it was as the auxiliary of her illustrious brother. No two ever did better teamwork. No two were ever more devoted to each other or exhibited greater enthusiasm in the task to which they so heroically devoted their lives. Footnote. So sensitive was Miss Herschel in her old age regarding the reputation of her brother William, who had always been her idol and the one in whom she had concentrated all her affection, that she came to look askance at every person and thing that seemed calculated to dull the glory of his achievements. As her niece, in writing to Sir John Herschel after her death, declares, she looked upon progress in science as so much detraction from her brother's fame, and even your investigations would have become a source of estrangement had she been with you. In a letter to Sir John Herschel, written four years before her death, she exhibits in an amusing fashion her jealous spirit anent the great telescope of Lord Ross. They talk of nothing here at the clubs, she writes, but of the great mirror and the great man who made it. I have but one answer for all. Der Kerr ist ein Narr. The fellow is a fool. Even every word said in her own praise seemed to be so much taken away from the honor due to her brother. She had lived so many years in companionship with a truly great man, and in the presence of the unfathomable depths of the starry heavens, that praise of herself seemed childish exaggeration. And notwithstanding the honor and recognition which she received from learned men and learned societies for her truly remarkable astronomical labors, her dominant idea was always the same. I am nothing. I have done nothing. All I am, all I know, I owe to my brother. I am only a tool which he shaped to his use. A well-trained puppy dog would have done as much. End footnote. In addition to her arduous and engrossing duties as secretary and assistant to her brother, Carolyn found time to prepare a number of works for the press. Among these were a catalogue of 860 stars observed by Flamsteed, but not included in the British catalogue, and a general index of reference to every observation of every star in the above-mentioned British catalogue. She had the honor of having these two works published by the Royal Society. Another, and a more valuable work, was The Reduction and Arrangement in the Form of Catalogue in Zones of All the Star Clusters and Nebulae Observed by Sir W. Herschel in His Sweeps. It was for this catalogue that a gold medal was voted to her by the Royal Astronomical Society in 1828, a production that was characterized as a work of immense labor, and 
an extraordinary monument to the unextinguished ardor of a lady of seventy-five in the cause of abstract science. To her nephew, Sir John Herschel, it proved invaluable, as it supplied the needful data when he undertook the review of the nebulae of the northern hemisphere. It was also a fitting prelude to Sir John's Cape Observations, a copy of which great work she received from her nephew nearly twenty years subsequently, after he had completed his famous observations of the southern heavens in his observatory at the Cape of Good Hope. By a most striking and happy coincidence, writes Mrs. John Herschel, she, whose unflagging toil had so greatly contributed to its successful prosecution in the hands of her beloved brother, lived to witness its triumphant termination through the no less persistent industry and strenuous labor of his son, and her last days were crowned by the possession of the work which brought to its glorious conclusion Sir William Herschel's vast undertaking, the survey of the heavens. The Miss Herschel's labors in the cause of astronomy were appreciated by her contemporaries, is evidenced by the honors of which she was the recipient. The first of these honors came in the form of a gold medal, unanimously awarded by the Royal Astronomical Society for her reduction of 2,500 nebulae, discovered by her illustrious brother, which may be considered as the completion of a series of exertions probably unparalleled either in magnitude or importance in the annals of astronomical labor. It was on this occasion, when referring to the immensity of the task which Sir William Herschel had undertaken, that the vice-president of the society paid a deserving tribute to the great astronomer's devoted sister, in which is found the following statement. Miss Herschel it was, who by right acted as his amanuensis. She it was, whose pen conveyed to paper his observations, as they issued from his lips. She it was, who noted the right ascensions and polar distances of the objects observed. She it was who, having passed the night near the instrument, took the rough manuscripts to her cottage at the dawn of day, and produced a fair copy of the night's work on the following morning. She it was who planned the labor of each succeeding night. She it was who reduced every observation, made every calculation. She it was who arranged everything in systematic order. And she it was who helped him to obtain his imperishable name. Besides this gold medal from the Royal Astronomical Society, Miss Herschel also received two others, one from the King of Denmark and the other from the King of Prussia. The latter was accompanied by a most eulogistic letter from Alexander von Humboldt, who informed her that the medal was awarded her in recognition of the valuable services rendered by her as the fellow worker of her immortal brother, Sir William Herschel, by discoveries, observations, and laborious calculations. In 1835, when she was eighty-five years of age, Miss Herschel had the signal honor of being elected, along with Mrs. Somerville, an honorary member of the Royal Astronomical Society. As they were the first two women in England to receive such recognition for their contributions to science, it seems desirable to reproduce here an extract from the report of the Council of the Society regarding the bestowal of an honor which marked so distinct a change in England of the attitude that should be taken toward women 
who excelled in intellectual achievements. The extract reads as follows. Your counsel has no small pleasure in recommending that the names of two ladies, distinguished in different walks of astronomy, be placed on the list of honorary members. On the propriety of such a step, in an astronomical point of view, there can be but one voice. And your counsel is of the opinion that the time is gone by, when either feeling or prejudice, by whichever name it may be proper to call it, should be allowed to interfere with the payment of a well-earned tribute of respect. Your counsel has hitherto felt that, whatever might be its own sentiment on the subject, or however able and willing it might be to defend such a measure, it had no right to place the name of a lady in a position the propriety of which might be contested, though upon what it might consider narrow grounds and false principles. But your counsel has no fear that such difference could now take place between any men whose opinion could avail to guide the society at large. And, abandoning compliment on the one hand, and false delicacy on the other, submits that, while the tests of astronomical merit should in no case be applied to the works of a woman less severely than to those of a man, the sex of the former should no longer be an obstacle to her receiving any acknowledgment which might be held due to the latter. And your counsel, therefore, recommends this meeting to add to the list of honorary members the names of Miss Caroline Herschel and Mrs. Somerville, of whose astronomical knowledge and of the utility of the ends to which it has been applied, it is not necessary to recount the proofs. Three years after this splendid recognition of Miss Herschel's astronomical labors, she was elected an honorary member of the Royal Irish Academy. But exceptional as were the honors conferred on her by sovereigns and learned societies, none of them afforded her the extreme satisfaction that she experienced on the receipt of a copy, shortly before her death, of her nephew's epical Cape Observations. For, as has well been said, Nothing in the power of man to bestow could have given such pleasure on her deathbed as this last crowning completion of her brother's work. We are told that a copy, just from the press, of his immortal work, De Orbium Celestium Revolutionibus, in which he had established the heliocentric theory of the planetary system, was placed in the hands of Copernicus on the day of his death just a few hours before he expired. He seemed conscious of what it was, but after touching it and contemplating it for a moment, he lapsed into a state of insensibility which soon terminated in death. With Miss Herschel the case was different. Although in her ninety-seventh year, she still retained possession of all her faculties and was fully able to appreciate the volume which told of the crowning of her brother's life work a volume which must have given her additional satisfaction when she recalled her fifty years of loyal service at her brother's side as his associate and ministering angel in the greatest work ever undertaken by a single man in the history of astronomy. Caroline Herschel died at the advanced age of ninety-seven years and ten months, retaining to the last her interest in astronomy which had occupied her mind for more than three-quarters of a century. Her epitaph, composed by herself, 
is engraved on a heavy stone slab which covers her grave and contains the following words. The eyes of her who is glorified were here below turned to the starry heavens. Her own discoveries of comets and her participation in the immortal labors of her brother, William Herschel, bear witness of this to future ages. Space precludes any extended reference to Miss Herschel's distinguished associate in the Royal Astronomical Society, Mrs. Somerville, whose masterly translation and exposition of Laplace's Mécanique Celeste secured for her so enviable a place among the mathematicians of her time, and placed all English students of mathematical astronomy under such deep obligations. It is true that she ever manifested a lively interest in celestial phenomena, but it is rather as a mathematician than as an astronomer that she will be remembered by the devotees of science. The first American woman to win distinction in astronomy was Miss Maria Mitchell. Born in the island of Nantucket in 1818, she at an early age displayed remarkable talent for astronomy and mathematics. Her first instructor was her father, who, besides being a school teacher, had from his youth been an enthusiastic student of astronomy, and that, too, at a time when very little attention was given to its study in this country, and when the observatory of Harvard College consisted of only a little projection to an old mansion in Cambridge, in which there was a small telescope. At the age of thirteen, little Maria counted seconds by the chronometer for her father while he observed the annular eclipse of the sun in 1831. And from that time on she was his assiduous co-worker in the study of the heavens. After teaching school for some years, she became the librarian of the Nantucket Athenaeum, a position which she held for nearly twenty years. Here she continued the study of her favorite science and read all the books on astronomy which she could obtain. It was during this period that she read Bowditch's translation of Laplace's Mécanique Celeste and Gauss's Theoria Motus Corporum Coelestium in the original. On the evening of October 1st, 1847, she was the discoverer of a comet that attracted great attention because it secured for her a medal offered by the King of Denmark in 1831 for the first one who should discover a telescopic comet. The same comet was observed by Father de Vico in Rome two days subsequently, by Dawes in England on October 7th, and by Madame Rumker, wife of the director of the observatory at Hamburg, on the 11th of the same month. As there was no Atlantic cable in those days, it was not known who was the fortunate winner of the prize until nearly a year afterward, when word was received from Denmark announcing that the priority of Miss Mitchell's discovery had been recognized, and that she would be the recipient of the prize, which, for a while, it was thought would go to De Vico or Madame Rumker. In 1849, Miss Mitchell was appointed a compiler for the Nautical Almanac, a position she held for 19 years. During the same period, she was employed by the United States Coast Survey. When Vassar College was opened in 1865 for the higher education of women, Miss Mitchell was called to fill the chair of astronomy and to be the first director of the observatory. 
In this position, she soon succeeded in giving astronomy a prominence that it never had had before in any other college for women, and in but a few for men. Miss Mitchell was a member of several learned societies, and the author of a number of papers containing the results of her observations on Jupiter and Saturn and their satellites. But she is notable chiefly for being the first woman astronomer in the United States and for training up a number of young women who have followed in her footsteps as enthusiastic astronomers. She held her position at Vassar until 1889, when she died, a few months before her 71st birthday. Since the pioneer days of Miss Caroline Herschel, the number of women throughout the world who have achieved distinction in astronomy has rapidly augmented. One of the most noted of these was Caterina Scarpellini, niece of Feliciano Scarpellini, professor of astronomy in Rome, restorer of the Academy of the Linke, and founder of the Capitoline Observatory. Born in 1808, she manifested at an early age a decided taste for astronomy, which was carefully developed by her uncle. She it was who organized the Meteorological Ozonometric Station in Rome and edited its monthly bulletin. She exhibited a special interest in shooting stars and prepared the first catalogue of these meteors observed in Italy. In 1854 she discovered a comet. She has also left valuable studies on the probable influence of the moon on earthquakes studies which brought her distinction from several of the learned societies of Europe. In 1872, the Italian government decreed her a gold medal for her statistical labors in science. Since her death, her countrymen have recognized the value of her contributions to science by erecting a statue to her memory. Another woman who has won enduring fame in the annals of astronomy is Miss Dorothea Klumpke of San Francisco. While yet quite young, she and her sisters were taken to Europe to be educated. There she soon became proficient in a number of languages, and then devoted herself to the study of mathematics and astronomy. After securing her baccalaureate and licentiate in Paris, she applied for admission as a student to the Paris Observatory. The directors of the observatory consulted the statutes. No woman had hitherto proposed herself as a colleague but there was no rule opposing it. They themselves approved, and gave her a telescope to make her own observations. After a time she completed the work begun by Madame Kovalevsky on the rings of Saturn, which she had made the subject of her thesis, and when she had become doctor of science, she was given a decoration by the Institute and made an officier de l'Académie. After Miss Klumpke had brilliantly defended her thesis in the Sorbonne, M. Darbu, the president of the jury, complimented the young American doctor on her splendid work and concluded a notable address in her honor in the following laudatory words. The great names of Galileo, of Huygen, of Cassini, of Laplace, without speaking of those of my illustrious colleagues and friends, are attached to the history of every serious step forward made in this attractive and difficult theory of Saturn's rings. Your work constitutes another valuable contribution to the same subject, and places you in an honorable rank besides those women who have consecrated themselves to the study of mathematics. In the last century, 
Maria Agnesi gave us a treatise on the differential and integral calculus. Since then, Sophie Germain, as remarkable for her literary and philosophical talent as for her faculty with mathematics, won the esteem of the great geometricians who honored our country at the commencement of this century. It is but a few years since the Academy awarded one of its most beautiful prizes, which will place the name of Madame Kovalevsky, besides those of Euler and Lagrange, in the history of discoveries relative to the theory of the movement of a solid body about a fixed point. And you, mademoiselle, your thesis is the first which a woman has presented and successfully defended before our faculty for the degree of doctor in mathematics. You worthily open the way, and the faculty unanimously makes haste to declare you worthy of obtaining the degree of doctor. Besides her thesis just referred to, Miss Klumke is the author of numerous communications to scientific journals and learned societies regarding her researches on the specter of stars and meteorites and other allied subjects. For many years, she was at the head of the bureau in the Paris Observatory for measuring the photographic plates that are to be used in the large catalog of stars and map of the heavens, which are to constitute the crowning achievements of the International Astronomical Congress. She was the first woman to be elected a member of the Astronomical Society of France, and the character of her work as an observer as well as a computer has given her an enviable position among the astronomers of the world. Footnote. Miss Klumke, the reader may be interested in knowing, belongs to a singularly gifted family. Her sister, Augusta, is a distinguished physician and an authority on nervous diseases. Hers is the glory to be the first woman permitted, after an exceptionally severe examination, to serve as an intern in the Paris hospitals. Julia, her youngest sister, who achieved distinction as a violinist with Isai, was one of the first to pass the examination required of women entering the Paris Lycée, while Anna, the eldest, has won fame as an artist and as the friend, heiress, and executrix of France's famous daughter, Rosa Bonheur. End footnote. In America, another woman has won renown among astronomers by successfully executing the same kind of work as was entrusted to Miss Dorothea Klumke in Paris. For many years, Miss W. Fleming, in her large corps of women assistants, had charge of the immense collection of astronomical photographs in the observatory of Harvard University. To her and her staff were assigned the reductions and measurements of the photographic and photometric work done in Cambridge and Arequipa, Peru. She was singularly successful in her studies of photographic plates and made many discoveries which astronomers regard of the greatest importance. By such studies, she and her assistants detected many new nebulae, double and variable stars, besides spectra of different types and of rare interest. In addition to this, they examined and classified tens of thousands of photographs of stellar spectra, a labor which involved countless details of reduction and measurements of exceeding delicacy and skill. A complete list of the women who, during the past half-century, have devoted themselves to the study of astronomy and who have contributed to its advancement by their observations and writings would be a very long one. Among those, however, whose labors have attracted special notice, mention must be made of the Misses Antonia C. Mori, 
Florence Cushman, Louisa D. Wells, Mabel C. Stevens, Eva F. Lalonde, Anna Winlock, Annie J. Cannon, and Henrietta S. Levitt, all of whom are on the staff of the Harvard Observatory. Then, too, there are many women who occupy important positions as professors or assistant professors in our colleges and universities. Chief among these in the United States are Sarah F. Whiting of Wellesley, Mary W. Whitney of Vassar, Mary E. Boyd of Smith, Susan Cunningham of Swarthmore, and Annie S. Young of Mount Holyoke. Nor must we forget such able computers as Miss Margareta Palmer of Yale and Miss Hannah Mace, the clever assistant of the late Simon Newcomb in the Naval Observatory in Washington. In the old world, among the women who, during the last few decades, have materially contributed to the progress of astronomy, either as observers and computers or as writers, are Miss Alice Everett, who has done splendid work in the observatories of Greenwich and Potsdam, Mrs. M. A. Orr, Mary Ashley, Alice Brown, Mary Proctor, daughter of the late astronomer R. A. Proctor, Agnes M. and Ellen M. Clerk, and Lady Huggins of England, Madames Janssen, Fay, and Flammarion in France, the Countess Bobinski in Russia, and Miss Pogson in the Observatory of Madras, India. In conclusion, it is but just to observe that women's work in astronomy has by no means been confined to their contributions as observers, writers, and computers. Reference must also be made to the financial aid which they have given to various observatories and learned societies for the furtherance of astronomical research both in the new and the old world. It must suffice here to recall the endowment at Harvard University of the Henry Draper Memorial by Mrs. Henry Draper, in order that the work of photographing stellar spectra, which occupied her husband's later years, might be continued under the most favorable auspices. And the munificent sum of $50,000 given by Miss C. Bruce of New York for the construction of a large telescope especially designed for photographing faint stars and nebulae. The photographs taken with this instrument will be used in the preparation of the great chart of the heavens, which is to be the joint production of the chief observatories of the world. End of chapter 4, part 2 of 2. Recorded by Ralph Kerwin, Belmont, California.